Welcome to The Bridge. My name is Brandon. I'm joined by my friend Zach. And today we have an interesting album to talk about. Uh, before we get into that, uh, you got your green tea today, Zach? Uh, no, I just finished some dinner not too long ago. And so I'm sipping on a nice, cold, dark beer. Oh, nice. The name on it? Uh, it's a brew, uh, German beer. So uh, Stuart Becker is the okay. name. That's pretty it's good. Got a, yeah, it's got a, a lot of these sort of coffee and caramel flavors. It's the first time I've ever tried it. And I have to say, it is rather delicious. I'll be buying it again. Nice, nice, nice. Um, some of my friends were talking about some German beers the other day that they like to have. So I can only imagine. So this week we uh, picked an album by a, not a new artist per se, but a debut album uh, from Karm. And I think Karm is pretty interesting. He is a torn player. Uh, but the reason he's interesting, uh, interesting is he already has a uh, Grammy award wins um, from featuring on a lot of albums and with a lot of artists you're probably familiar with. He's played with Paul Simon. He won the Grammy for Bonnie Vera's self-title uh, album, which he featured on. Uh, he's also part of a sextet uh, called Why Music. He's uh, he's played for uh, Sufjan Stevens. He even was a Play trumpet on Taylor Swift's uh, recent album *Evermore* uh, on Willow. <laughs> so, like, pretty, 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 uh, prodigious guy, you could say. Yeah, and so he spent the the last fifteen years honing his craft, playing for other artists, and uh, building up his IOUs. I think because uh, he's got uh, he brought a lot of those artists in for for this album. He's got a lot mm -hmm. of features on this. Which are uh, one of the more intriguing and compelling parts of the album. However, uh, I will go ahead and say it already. The features for me are a bit of a mixed bag. They have their they have soaring highs and then they have uh, plunging lows. I I wouldn't I wouldn't say so drastically. I think I would say that. Uh, I think that the 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 basic basis uh, of building an album around your features and your horn playing and stuff is not a bad idea, but I think at times it takes away from the cohesiveness. Um, I would say, but I don't know. I think they're all pretty good features. I think they're all good vocal performances and uh, uh, little ads to songs, such as the uh, uh, the mouse feature. Mouse on Mars. Mouse on Mars. Yeah. Um, so before we get too far into our thoughts on the album, uh, off the bat, um, what did you, had you heard of this guy beforehand? No, I hadn't heard of, uh, hadn't heard of him before. And, uh, yeah, it, it, we're reviewing this based on your recommendation more or less. And, mm -hmm. uh, I, so I didn't know anything about him and then looked it up and seeing that, yeah, like you had already mentioned, he was sort of uh, part of people's bands. He was sort of uh, like an album musician, I guess you could say. Yeah, right. Him and his uh, sextet uh, featured and played instrumentation on a lot of albums and features. So inside their own album working, which I believe they've gotten numerous rewards for even their debut for classical album of the year. I believe that the year it came out. Do you know what Paul Simon record it was uh, that he played on? I think he plays with them live. Um, okay. Okay. I know. I know specifically reference that he plays like on the boxer, right? But obviously, he's not the original. No, uh, yeah. Player on the boxer. He's he's far too young. But I, he he tours with Paul Simon. I imagine him. How old? His, 
this guy? I, I, I am not sure. When I was looking up, I know that he started his career in the mid two thousands. Around the time, you know, Chicago's coming out, Bonnie Bear, Bonnie Bear's coming out. So mm-hmm. assume he just graduated. I'd say he's in his like, uh, yeah, he, he graduated in two thousand four. So, you know, assuming that he's somewhere in the mid twenties at that point, I'd say yeah. he's he's pushing forty right now. So did yeah. is he classically trained? Like, did he go to music school? Yes, he did. He went to the Juilliard School. Okay, yeah, it's a, a super prestigious school in New York. Mm-hmm. He uh, he featured there as a concerto soloist. Uh huh. Okay. And quickly after that, went on tour with like Surf Jam and uh, Rufus Wainwright National. Okay, played with the National too. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the guy's got uh, chops. Uh, he's been around the block, that's for sure. Right. So this is his debut album. So what uh, on his solo? Uh, effort as as mentioned he has a a, a sextet he, he plays part of called why music that's uh, amazing as well but and again he's featured on all these albums so this is his first solo outing uh <laughs> he's got a lot of these features on here he's got Su- suf jam uh he's got sharon nova justin vernon also known as bonnie Vare, uh mosa mars uh and a few others as well so he's kind of He's he's got this sign off of a lot of artists, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people respect him, uh, they consider him really talented. So, knowing all that, I was super excited to listen to this, even though I I hadn't heard any of his Y music stuff or any of his uh, other stuff besides the features he probably had on those albums, which mm-hmm. I hadn't had heard of. You unwittingly uh, heard him play, right? Right, right. So I had heard him play and didn't know it. And so this is his first solo album. And looking through the albums, I, I was this one piqued my interest the most. It was a good recommendation by you. I really enjoyed listening to it, even if I uh, there are some problems that I have with the record. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a few a few issues I think, but I think overall this was a, a, a interesting debut. Uh, how did your first listen go? Uh, the first listen, I. My my problem is that my least favorite track is the first track, and so my first listen, uh, I really had to sort of push myself to get into the album because uh, that Su- Sufjan Stevens feature is just terrible, in my opinion. What is it that you didn't like about it? It's just so cheesy, man. Like it's so like the lyrics in the first verse, he mentions angels. Uh, the light of the horizon, and then the refrain in the chorus is, is trouble and struggle, and it's just it's super sentimental. And then the the keys that play during the song are also sentimental. What sort of hooked me into the song a little bit was the was the French horn that plays. Mm-hmm. Very very the French horn to me is a very lonesome sound, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, this is a little bit of an aside, but uh, I looked up what the name for French horn is in German because I write the notes in German, mm-hmm. and it's called uh, Waldhörner, and Wald is forest, and so it creates this image of a horn playing in the forest, sort of. Okay. Yeah, it conveys the idea of yeah a lonesome sound, but the the yeah the lyrics were just killed me and then the way that they they sing it it's like um there's two vocalists on the track right it's uh sophie and stevens but then also because i looked up the lyrics on genius and then genius listed uh 
Jake Lupin, who has a solo pro- project called Lupin, I believe. I looked it up. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. But I think I remember yeah. seeing the same thing. He's the one who sings sort of the refrain in the chorus, Trouble or Struggle, and then uh, Sufjan Stevens sings the rest. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a... It's not a harmonic, but it's uh, Sufjan Stevens sings the main part, and then it's sort of lifted up with the gentle, angelic, almost voice of Jake Lupin, and with the sentimental lyrics of God. It just sort of, it just sort of kills it for me. That's interesting. I I didn't listen a lot to the lyrics on this track, and it might have changed how I felt a bit, because uh, I had come in this album knowing that this was a, a horn player i was really interested in how what i was going to be listening to right so i was paying attention to a lot of the composition uh on this track which i enjoyed because i kind of had some throwaway comments on, on sufjan's vocals being great they're you know they're very wistful he caspers he captures that like whisper vocal very gentle atmosphere I did have an issue with it is, is I felt like this was a bit derivative of a, a Soof Jam song. This felt mm-hmm. a lot more like a Soof Jam Stevens track than, you know, defining this as a Karm track. And I didn't quite get a feel at when I started listening to this track and this album, how the rest of the album was going to unfold. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't really critique it that harsh at first, but after listening to the album in whole, I thought this al- this track was a bit, and the album itself is a bit uh, bookend on both sides by this issue. Is yeah. it's almost these transplant songs, where I felt like they weren't calm songs, they were Sufjan songs, or on the other side of it, Justin Vernon's uh, Vernon song. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I I enjoyed uh, how the French horn was using the song. Like it, it it doesn't he doesn't take the foreground with the horn or the brass. He he usually. He kind of fills the air in a lot of these tracks, but in this track as well, he fills the air with the horn sound. So there's like this tone uh, constantly coming at you while there's like pianos playing. Uh, it's, it's an interesting little cloud that he creates with the horn sections in his composition where all the rest of the song just kind of like twiddles away on top of it. You know, I didn't think this was a bad song or cheesy, but again, I didn't really pay attention to the lyrics. I was listening more to the composition on it. So you, you, I, I concede that point. Uh, I can't really say, I can't say it wasn't too cheesy. I, I thought it was a bit too much of a derivative song of surf jam, a surf jam and not something a little more out the gate definitive of the Carm's new debut effort. Yeah. Well, uh, does the song, begins it introduces the the french horn and, right in the beginning of the song and it does that quite often throughout the album mm-hmm. um but so as soon as I, the song comes on okay it has the sort of the the mark of calm you know mm-hmm. but then of course when you have someone as popular as sufian stevens and his voice is super recognizable as well mm-hmm. as is um justin vernon's mm-hmm yeah, the their presence definitely casts a big shadow over the rest of the song, and so then Calm's individual touch gets a little bit lost. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and, and where he's he's part of those these original sounds, like he played on Bonnie Vare's self-title, he's played on Sufjan's uh, album. So like the part of the sound that 
he's derivative of is also his own sound. You know, he's part of that. So yeah. it's a bit, it's might be a bit harsh of me to critique it, but I would have liked to see him stand out a bit on his own in terms of his own individual sound. Yeah. Um, well, I think he does a little better on other tracks, um, mm-hmm. but I think the album is a little bookended with that issue. Well, the thing is this, the album, as it progresses, my favorite section of the album comes in the, uh, comes yeah in the middle and then, deep into the b-side of the album if you want to recall and refer to it as b-side even though in my opinion it has the best best tracks mm-hmm. um but as the album progresses he sort of sheds the skin of yeah the contributions he's made to other artists records and so on and so forth and really develops his own voice in my opinion and so i found this song sort of a strange it was sort of strange to introduce the album on this song, I thought. But that was my first listen. And mm-hmm. after listening to the album repeated times, there's certainly a progression that the album takes that makes makes sense. Even though, yeah, it still bothers me every time the song comes on. <laughs> um, how did you feel with the next track, uh, Soft Night? Uh, Soft Night. Okay, yeah. So, again, it has that lonesome... French horn and it introduces the song again mm-hmm. as it did the previous time mm-hmm. but um now he begins to introduce uh, some electronic elements yeah yeah and it well, sort of yeah he he kind of sprinkles them in there in such a way that you might not even notice them a little bit in soft night i think it's the next track that he really just kind of throws it in your face well the in, in my opinion as the album progresses we get more of this electronic touch and mm-hmm. uh, the album is quite interesting for this reason because it's very much like it incorporates analog instruments with horns and brass mm-hmm. and puts them into uh yeah the electronic genre right. and uh, anyways this album uh sorry this song soft night it uh, it sort of progresses towards a, a loop a sort of uplifting loop that in my opinion, based on the sentimentality and the morose sound of the first song, uh, is a step. It begins to step away from that and towards something, something, some a different tone, a more right. uplifting tone. Um, yeah. The there's this is the first song that kind of like starts the album, I think, and kind of like what I was mm-hmm. more anticipating and kind of more what I enjoyed. This is a little bit of an atmospheric album at times. And I think this is one of the peak sleepy kind of songs was Soft Night. A lot of just like somber listening, nighttime listening. I, this is how I kind of felt about it. It's, it's the kind of music uh, I felt very calming. And the horns, I, I love the horns. And I love him as a, a horn player. And that there's horns all over this album. So I was really interested in how he was going to incorporate that in a versatile kind of way because i wanted to see all the different ways he would he would incorporate it so soft night i think suffers a little bit of not doing a whole lot but it's kind of mm-hmm. like a, a palette you know yeah. i think soft night kind of starts the album with a, a spacious kind of horn playing a lot of like complimentary uh horns underneath other instruments or filling up the air like he, that he'll do on a lot of these tracks but he become he does more other things uh or he does other sounds on other tracks and but i think this soft night is a little simple 
to return to after mm-hmm. you heard the other tracks. But it was an interesting start, like a palette. You know, it was this kind of a well, canvas idea. Well, I haven't thought about this until uh, you brought it up, or until we started talking now. Um, but I also noticed how the album sort of closes by return. It sort of returns to the tone that is set on Song of Trouble. Mm-hmm. However, okay. what, you're, what you're saying here about Soft Night, uh, it is... It's not necessarily sparse, but it's not a super dense track. No. You know, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of space, and you can hear all the elements quite well. However, if you were if you refer to track nine, which is the penultimate track on the album, okay, scares yeah. me out. The most avant-garde track. It's the one that features features Mouse on Mars. Yes, that that track is is. I, I let's get to that track a little later because I think the. This album builds that track a lot, really. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I just wanted to raise this point uh, about about the maybe there's a relationship between Soft Night and that Scarcely Out. They sort of f- function almost as uh, as counterpoints. Mm-hmm. The Soft Night being a light introduction to the int- uh, to the uh, uh, electronic elements on on the, on the album, mm-hmm. and then the whole album sort of builds towards this big climactic payoff and scarcely out that is very frenetic and full of all kinds of erratic energy. Mm -hmm. I think it's the third track nowhere that the production really threw me for a loop. I wasn't expecting to hear any kind of electronic uh, influence on this album. That's not really Mm -hmm. what I was anticipating. And this one starts with like a wall of grimy, bass you know it just everything has like sludge coat covered all over it as soon as this this track starts um mm-hmm. and i was just like what? what what like it just really like i was i had no idea that this was coming and that's not an insult like i enjoyed that like murkiness that it started with uh and then like it kind of develops uh i i noted that the guitar in this song reminds me almost of like a pink floyd kind of a chord so I don't know if you picked up on that as well, but uh, it was very familiar to me anyway. And the only thing closest I get to is like, kind of sounds like a little bit of a Pink Floydy structure with the guitar there. Uh, they bring in the horn in, and I'm always surprised every now and then he brings in the new horn sound from somewhere. And I always forget that this, there's going to be horn on this this record for some reason. Um, <laughs> yeah. I really liked this one. The driving drums near the end was really good. There's a lot of life on this one. This was like my first. Uh, highlight was nowhere okay um for me it was just i could see where the album was going at this point i didn't uh i didn't take a deep interest in it uh but it was yeah it was just a it was another step towards where i i thought the album would take more shape like at this point like the album sort of starts off in this if we take the position that the album really kicks off with soft night it's mm-hmm. almost a little bit skeletal, and then he sort of adds meat to the skeleton as the songs progress. And so mm-hmm. this uh, this track was for me. Um, it w- it's not a bad track, but uh, not anything particularly extraordinary or noteworthy. Okay, okay, I, I, I'm going to disagree. I really think that this this track stands out on the album. Like it's mostly because of the production techniques that they used on this and how different it sounds. Uh, from anything that was coming up to this point. And really, nothing really kind of gets back to this kind of feeling of a song, I think, until the sixth track, 
Um, Invisible we'll one. Yeah. But that's, that's that's fine. I think I, I still I enjoy that song. To be honest, uh, maybe it was just my first impression. I just it was uh, after I listened to the album a couple times, I started selecting the tracks that really grabbed my attention, and uh, I really like Invisible Walls. But I never drew the connection like you did between Nowhere and Invisible Walls. So uh, yeah, fair point. Uh, how'd you? Uh, let's go on to the next track. Uh, the next one is uh, an interesting another feature track. Uh, but I'm not familiar, uh, I wasn't anyway, with, familiar with Georgia Hubley and Ira Kaplan. And I'm sorry if I butchered those names. Uh, but they're part of Yola Tango, uh, which I had a little listen to. And I enjoyed uh, kind of what I listened to. There was a little bit of a pop, noise pop going on with them. And they're like, started back in the 80s. And I know the woman here is a percussionist and I watched her on the drums as she's like 60 years old, you know, going to town. <laughs> okay. And, well. She was a, so she, she really interested, interested me. I thought, I thought this was a, you know, I'm not going to say this was a great feature because honestly it was a little lackluster. Um, I thought, I thought it was pretty rudimentary for what I went and heard from them and their solo work. I wish there was more of that in this song. Yeah, I'm familiar with one of their albums. I, it's the one that has Autumn Sweater on it. I think it came out in 1998. Mm-hmm. But uh, the yeah, that band Yolo Tango, right? Yeah, yeah, they've just got they've got a huge discography, and so uh, I'm familiar with that that one album. But I haven't listened to much else from them. And it's a good album, uh, but uh, yeah, like the feature on this song doesn't. Uh, it's not anything that makes me want to return to them anytime soon. Right. It, like I enjoyed like more what I went and searched up of it, that artist than I did this track, you know? So it, you know, it kind of served two masters, you know, it kind of introduced me a bit to yellow tango, but you know, it wasn't a bad song. You know, this isn't a terrible track or anything, but I just thought it kind of fell to the wayside a bit of the other tracks. Musically, I thought it was kind. Of, I thought it was pretty cool. Like the the horns I found on this track were very drawn out during the during the course. And there's a there's a bridge section where he really draws out the horn, and um, also the key, the keyboard that's playing. It's it it uh, juxtaposes very well with the with the long drawn out horn because the keyboard is. It's playing almost in a nervous way. It's got a very fast and sped up tempo. And okay. uh, I always like that when I have two um, two opposite sounds playing off each other. Um, I was very accepting of the electronic flares that he was doing. Mm-hmm, yeah. I thought they were a really good idea at this point because some he was a bit he was getting a little predictable with his horn, kind of like a. To me, it was just kind of a track that existed. So going out of that and into into our, uh, After Hours, which had a pretty heavy like uh, electronic warble going on. Uh, There's a vocal sample, and there's kind of like a hip-hop kind of influence on this album. Uh, a slow fly. Uh, it's very heavy and cloudy. The bass was sludgy. And then the horns come in and, and fill it up. Like, this song is like, I really enjoy this song as well. And I think this is somewhere you were mentioning... How you kind of like the middle to the B sides? I think after hours is where that starts for me. Uh, I think that little power section of the album starts at after hours to me. 
Yeah, like up until this point, the album is, you know, I'm not going to say m- mediocre, but it's sort of is is it's on a bit of an average trajectory. You know? Yeah, I would say it's kind of average at, at this point. You know, I was enjoying the horns and excited to see how he was as a composer and, and listening to the way he structured songs and where he was going to put his horns in and, and how he was going to grasp his, his sound. That was really interesting to me as a concept going into this album. And by the time I got to after hours, I had gotten, uh, I've been listening to like 15 minutes of this uh, album by now. And so I'm like, okay, I kind of get where this is going to. And I wasn't really like the, the initial excitement had kind of worn off and it's like, okay, you got to hook me with something else now. Yeah. The, by the time already gone's over the, the curiosity of the horns have sort of worn off at that point. Right. You're sort of saying to yourself, okay, I get it. Uh, I, I understand your point of view where you're coming from now. So what else do you got? Help me a little bit. Like, uh, let's do. Let's let's sort of turn turn the dial a little bit. Let's like you have a very unique sound. Let's let's kind of. I hate to say experimental. I don't like that word. Sure. But, uh, but I I know where you're going. Yeah, experimental. Yeah. Become a little more progressive with your sound. And I think he does. I think this like he starts with. Uh, obviously, I think nowhere has these these effects on it. And, and it was kind of interesting as an introduction. After Hours continues with some more ideas in, in this vein, and I think they're different enough and compelling enough that at the point in the album where he needs to start uh, defining himself, he does mm-hmm. so. Yeah, and you, you said this uh, track really sticks out, and I picked up on the point that it's the first track, actually, that doesn't open with the French horn. Okay. And it opens with the wobbly, fluttering bass that you mentioned. Right, right. It sounds like something thrown through a computer. And it's just like, or someone yelling into a fan, you know? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then shortly after that, shortly after the song begins, maybe 10, 15 seconds, instead of a French horn this time, it sounds like a foghorn that, that plays. Okay. And that's what it reminded me of. It, you want to know what it reminded me of? I'm not sure if you've seen the movie The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson. I've seen clips, but not. I haven't seen the whole thing. Okay, well, even if you've seen the trailer, the Foghorn is a very big motif in that album. And Foghorn, it brought me back to watching that movie. And it, the, the Foghorn, yeah, really, mm, it, along with the bass, sort of brought a new energy to the song it sort of caught my attention it arrested me a little bit and i said okay right. i gotta i gotta stop you know let, put all my put my focus on the album now because something something new is happening right um uh so probably what's my favorite uh song in the album is invisible walls how did you uh how did you feel about that one yeah you mentioned it earlier it uh has this uh, distortion effect it's very sludgy it's mm-hmm. yeah it's sort of thick it's got this very um it almost functions like an interlude and has these almost it almost sounds like someone's screaming uh somewhere buried behind all the heavy sound uh, i uh, i've written here uh, that it opens with a wailing horn. 
So yeah, I get that screaming kind of sensibility from it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's actually what I have written here. I said distorted uh, bass, but that's wrong. It's sort of distorted horn, and the distorted horn uh, is what sounds like someone screaming. Right, and, and that and that horn builds through the song. Uh, like this song is kind of perfect for me. It's a it's a simple concept of a song. Uh, it just builds from the beginning to end, and there's a climax near the end. You know, it's like a little story. It like it opens with this wailing horn. It slowly starts building and it quickens and the, it opens up with this strummed instrument and some other distorted sound. I couldn't quite, uh, you know, define. I couldn't figure out what it was, but there's some sort of something that's gone through some reverb and some distortion that was a little confused me what it was. Uh, and then it just hits this peak where everything crescendos and it's going crazy and everything's loud and this thick wall of sound is coming at you. Uh, it settles out, and everything's kind of got a circular motion as it comes out of this. Everything's like swirling, and it's like there's a sense that you're being uh, dragged away from Kansas in a tornado. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I really enjoyed the song. Actually, like I thought it was a great build, a good. I think, I think if he could find his sound within this bubble that he explores here, Invisible Walls, I think he'll he'll see. Uh, a big fan out of me. Mm -hmm, yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, part of the reason why the track's so powerful is because more or less up until this point in the record, the midpoint of the record, you've been treated with these soft, lonesome, uh, almost dreamy French horns. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden he throws this, he puts this song in the middle of the album and what does he do with the horns? He distorts them, and then he cranks up the volume as loud as the album ever gets, and then lets it play for five minutes, which is right. the second longest uh, track on the album. Right, right. No, I, I really enjoyed this. A spoiler, this is going to be my Tailwind song. Uh, I think this was the highlight of the album, was Invisible Walls, right, right here in the middle, the uh -huh. sixth track. I think the album builds to this track super well. Uh, the album, well, the tracks lead to this track, I mean. Um, Hold on it, a second. You said this would be your toe-in track. Yeah, this is like, this is the track I think people should, if they're going to... Could, you could argue that this is a bit, um, maybe putting your toe into the deep end a little bit. After Hours or Nowhere might be it, or uh -huh. an interesting, more encompassing sound. But uh, I just think that this is a... The peak of his comp uh, his com skill as a composer comes in Invisible Walls, I think. Well, and I, th and I would like to sample that. Don't you think that if you went into this song blind without the context of everything that comes before it, it would lose some of its dramatic impact? No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. This, this is kind of a, an album album. You know, there's a yeah. lot of stuff that I think you need to build into, which, you know, that's a conceit of... Uh, having toe-in songs, you know. Uh, this is kind of an album that more lends to you listening beginning to end than it does uh, encourage picking out random songs to see what it's like. Yeah, I think it's definitely an album that, especially on your first listen, from beginning to end, and preferably in one sitting, uh, which, I mean, I always listen to albums in one sitting. I don't like splitting them up into pieces. Because that's not the way they were intended to be listened, but um, it's definitely an album where you need to 
you need to understand what he's doing by listening to it from front to back. The organization of the album is very intentional. Mm-hmm. And I think after that, can you then decide, okay, these are the songs that sort of make the most sense of the progression of the album to me. And then yeah, you could probably pick out uh, three or four tracks that kind of, if you want to like abridge the album with it. And I think you could definitely do that. Soft night, nowhere after our invisible walls. Uh, actually, no. Uh, cut it after I was put invisible walls and go to slant wise. I think no, not slant wise. I'm thinking of uh, yeah, we're talking, thinking of scarcely out. That's the one. Scarcely out. Yeah. Well, uh, that's interesting because you leave out the track that comes after invisible walls, which mm, is my favorite vocal performance on the album. Uh, I would. I would not going to disagree with her uh, voice. We're talking, about, this, uh, we're, we're talking about Shara Nova, who is from the, My Brightest Diamond. And she features uh, on the song Tap. Yes, Tap is the next song. Uh, get a little ahead of ourselves there. Um, I think she has a lovely voice, and I, I got a lot of FKA Twigs vibes from, from this track. Um, the vocals were lovely. There's nothing wrong with them. Um, but I was more compelled with some of her solo work when I looked her up, uh, listened to a track or two. I thought she had... Uh, very distinct vocals and was compositionally really talented. I'm sure she had a hand in the composition of this album because she's also a uh, uh, in that field. I, I don't know that for a fact though. But I just kind of thought this also was similar to Already Gone to me. Uh, I thought this was just kind of there. I didn't really have a super complaint about it. It was kind of a wispy song after after listening to Invisible Walls and After Hours. This kind of felt like. A regression to me. I felt like step, stepping back a little too much, and I ended up thinking this was my least favorite track on the on the whole album. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's sort of shocking to me because it's not my favorite track on the album, but uh, I really like it, and I really like it because it comes after Invisible Walls, which is so loud and um, yeah, just heavy and in your face. And then this song, it's it has three elements more or less. The mm-hmm. horn, some electronic textures, and then her voice. And she has a great vocal performance. Her voice reminded me of Florence and the Machine. And yes, I get, I get that uh, comparison as well. Yeah, and she she has she has she has she can sing high, and then she can go an octa- octave even higher. Mm-hmm. And she really does that on this song. And I l- checked out some of her uh, solo work, and I didn't. Uh, I didn't find the same vocal performance really. That she didn't. She, I didn't find the same range on any of the, the songs that I listened to. But uh, I it, didn't. I didn't go deep. I only heard a few songs to get my palate uh, wet for what it was that she was gonna. She offered this song. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more uh, interested, honestly, with her composition work uh, with some of their songs and how she structured them. I thought mm-hmm. she, uh, she was really talented there in that degree. I uh, no, I'm not taking anything away from her vocals. I think her vocals are great. But honestly, it's the vocal tracks on this album that I like the least. That you like uh, the least, and uh, you want to know something? I can totally agree. Except this, except this song. This okay. is the the this is the pearl of all the vocal vocal performances on the album. I thought the instrumentation and her voice just came together so well. It had this sort of beautiful etherealness to it, which contrasted very well with coming out of Invisible Sounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and in a way, the next two songs that come, it sort of provides a little bit of a palate cleanser. 
the uh, after invisible walls you mean uh, well after invisible walls then tap comes it's sort of like a palate cleanser and then uh-huh. and then we sort of have to buckle in for the next two tracks before we get to the end of the album because uh i would uh also say slantwise was a bit of a palate cleanser uh and tr- i think tra- tap and slantwise have very similar aesthetics I thought Slantwire was a bit redundant. I thought it didn't really serve a, a huge purpose here. It was a, it's fine, subtle, atmospheric, but a little too passive for me. I thought after hearing these ideas on Nowhere, After Hours, and Invisible Walls, and I thought he was going to go in this more experimental electronic place with his horn playing. I was really interested in seeing like this. Uh, growth and branching out of the sound, but I, it felt like instead he he kind of brought Slantwise back to the back to Soft Night, you know. Uh, Slantwise just felt like something back uh, back to the palette, you know, that blank canvas. Okay, that's funny. Uh, we we have uh, pretty divergent opinions uh, throughout this album because I have to say I thought this was an interesting song because you know electronic music it has an electronic bass, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just a sta- it's a staple. It's part of, it's part of the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. However, plant wise, he's using drums. He's using actual percussion. No, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and I think I, thought, so. I can't say for sure. Uh, it's it sounds a lot like drums to me because it's it's it stood out to me as soon as I put on the track, and I thought it added like an uh, more of an analog bass sound to what is uh, an uh, electronic album, I guess you could say, even though he has that classical background and obviously brings in the horns and stuff. And I just thought it was another part of... We we began the discussion talking about Carm's personal touch on his solo debut. Mm-hmm. And I thought Slantwise was an example of him bringing part of, part of his analog background in from his classical training and use of horns and sort of turning the electronic genre on its head a little bit by using uh you know real drums and actual percussion mm-hmm. um, uh, an electronic track i thought it was i thought it was kind of uh yeah revolutionary okay okay not that, not that it's just just this element of the song not saying that the 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 song is the best on the album or anything like this but i thought the song slantwise contrary to what you were saying about it being a regression i thought it had uh, a purpose and was progressive in its musical ideas okay no i i can see that i can see that i think uh, at this point after being so intrigued and and excited through uh, the ideas of nowhere after hours and visible walls, uh, those being my favorite tracks up to this point. Mm-hmm. I was uh, I wasn't excited to kind of see him pull back on it, you know, and kind of build back up later. Uh, so I'm kind of curious how you felt about the next track. I, I I have a suspicion I know how you felt. Uh, Scarcely out, which features Mouse on Mars, which is an electronic duo. Uh, yeah. So. Um... I'm going to maybe provide some context for Mouse on Mars because I'm a pretty big Kraftwerk fan. And Kraftwerk are a German electronic group from Dusseldorf that essentially were pioneers of electronic music. 
with their album Autobound that came out in 1974, I believe, though I could be wrong. It may have came out in 1972. That's a fantastic record, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's a great record. Uh, we listened to it together. And uh, anyways, interestingly enough, Mouse on Mars also come from Dusseldorf in Germany. And so, of course, they have this very strong connection and background to the scene in which, uh, yeah, craft were created in West Germany. And even though the Mouse on Mars are based in Berlin now, uh, they have they come from this background of electronic music that began with craft work, and uh, they've been making records since 1994. Their debut record is called Volva Land. I encourage everyone to go check it out. And they have a new record actually coming out this year called AAI. Mm. I can't remember exactly what the acronym stands for, but uh, it's coming out in February. Perhaps I may be able to convince you to uh, to review it on the show. We'll maybe talk about that uh, when we're not recording. Yeah, sure. You know, I'm I'm always. It depends on what releases alongside it, really. Well, uh, that's that's the only thing that's gonna. We'll see. But uh, it was interesting because I looked at the most recent one. And they actually have features from Justin Vernon on their record, and they also have a host of other features as well, which include rappers, singer-songwriters from Ireland, uh, Justin Vernon, as I mentioned before, and so on and so forth. And so they're an incredibly diverse electronic duo, and they really do push the boundaries on what electronic music can do and they're not really limited they are not limited to any genre they they're very much similar to how this record pulls from different areas and incorporates different instruments they're they're the exact same and so this song it, it has the horn it has piano keys and just then, a, just a moment there. Uh, the the acronym that you're talking about, uh, AAI, is artificial authentic intelligence. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, did you just look it up? The yes, album name? Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So everyone, keep your eye out for that, even if we don't review. Um, well, yeah, as you were saying, the horns. Yeah. So the this track has Calm's horns, but similar to maybe what you were saying about the Sufjan Stevens song. The mouse on Mars sort of take over. Yeah. This song feels uh, the most different of everything else on the album. Yeah, it's definitely the most avant-garde song on the album. There's no doubt about it. I got the feeling, like, I get a lot of visuals when I listen to the song. This song was really uh, peppery. It, like, uh, it had a lot to it. It, it kind of felt like a thousand scuttering ants, you know, or uh, yeah. time lamps of uh, New York. Everything's going fast and rapid, and there's lots of syncopated beats, and it's really interesting. I thought this track was a, a compelling. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure about the Mouse on Mars influence, or how how much this is derivative of their, their sound, but I thought that this, uh, in terms of the feature, I thought this was the best feature on the album, um, in that it kind of fit into the narrative of the sound evolution wrote the album as uh, kind of the track that kind of pulls it all together 
Yeah, the song is like putting your head on a swivel. Mm-hmm. The song is constantly changing. But it, and uh, it's also maybe one of the faster tempo songs on the album. Mm-hmm. You can compare it to... It, in my opinion, it reminded me, even though it's far more... Mm, uh, it's doing. It's far more dense. Uh, it brought me back to the, the vigor that you get on After Hours and Invisible Walls. Yes, this felt like the the natural conclusion on the album. This yeah, felt I, to me, like what uh, I, I, a little bit spoiled. What I thought should have been the ending track. Mm-hmm, I agree. It's textured, which someone asked me uh, the other day what that meant, and it's just like something that's not necessarily. Uh, a melody or or a beat, but like something that adds a little more to the song by terms of soundscape. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's just what we mean when we say textured. Uh, so it's textured and electronic, and there's a lot of syncopated beats, a lot of things off off rhythm with the beats and and str- like string hit, hits on every other other beat. It's really it's just a wild cacophonous uh, chaos of a song. Yeah, it's incredibly chaotic and. When I looked into their music, especially their most recent output, yeah, like they incorporate the the piano keys and their sound sort of plays into what Calm is doing on this record. Like they incorporate analog sounds with ele- with electronic music, and so I think the collaboration between the two were, was fantastic. I'm curious to see if Calm actually features on uh, their upcoming release. That would be that'd be nice. Every every horn that I hear on the album now, I was like, "Is that him? Is that my boy?" <laughs> is he sneaking around there in the background, tooting his horn? Uh, is there anything else that you want to say in this before we went on to the what was the closing track? No, that's all. That's all I have to say on the say on the album, uh, track. Except that uh, even though it's the most out there track on the, I think I think it's the one I like the best. It's the one that makes me the most excited. Right, so you'd say that was your favorite on the album? Yeah, that song and uh, After Hours and Invisible Walls. That those those tracks are, I think, for most people listening to the album, would say, yeah, those are the ones that stand out the most. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, how did you think about Bonnie Bear's ending song here, ending feature? Okay. I sort of, you know. It to Sufjan Stevens and his morose uh, atmosphere on the opening track, and then mm-hmm. you get it again here on the last track, Land. However, I think production wise, it's a little more interesting. And they there's this section, and I guess it sort of functions like a bridge, and they bury his Justin Vern's vocals in some sort of sound effect and it almost comes out it begins to sound like an echo you can barely understand what he's saying mm-hmm. and it had this like ghastly sound to it and i thought it sort of played into parts of the sound on the album it reminded me of uh, tap a little bit but and the and the screaming sounds that you hear on uh, uh what track was that yeah invisible walls it, it, it sort of brought me back to that a little bit and i thought that was enough to make the track stand out over Song of Trouble. But other than that, it really brings us back to this regrettable place that uh, Sufjan Stevens creates for us at the beginning of the album. Uh, I agree uh, with what you're saying. Uh, 
I didn't write any notes on this song. This I listened to the Bon Iver, Bon Iver album a few months ago. This song fits on that album with it. You wouldn't even notice. This is like okay. a B side to that, that that album. This was so so derivative of that album that I just couldn't care. I just couldn't care about the song. It just mm-hmm. sounded like a Bon Iver song that I'd already heard seven versions of uh, over the course of his discography himself. Like this felt so unneeded on this album that I just really didn't like it. Yeah, I mean it's a it was a bit of a story point to end on like you said especially with scarcely out um it was such a that would have been such an exclamation point on the record and then you sort of yeah we returned back to this sappy mood more or less and even though you want to know something uh if you look at the statistics i use spotify but i'm sure apple music and all the other places where people stream music um the statistics are probably the same the Song of Trouble and Land are the most popular songs that are being streamed from this album by by far. Uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. I think that's kind of their point and why they're on this album is uh, the reason why we chose to review it, why it was so interesting to us, is he had these features from Bon Iver and he had these features from Sufjan. Uh, we, you know, these were like a lot of like, I'll say sponsors uh, for this album they really like kind of gave it their blessing. And so that was really what brings you into this album is these features and, you know, like, okay, this guy, you know, he's got the, the seal of approval from these people that I respect. And he's got the Grammy war from the Bonnie Vare self-titled album. But in the end, it's, it's this cruel irony that the same reason I listened to this album ended up being the worst part of the album. <laughs> yeah, it is the cruel irony. That's for sure. And, uh, the thing is this, I am not so, I don't under, I don't know how much of an influence he had the Bonnie Vare projects and on Sufjan mm-hmm. Stevens projects. Right. And so, I mean, is it fair to really be harsh on Calm because the songs that feature Sufjan Stevens and Justin Vernon sound like Sufjan Stevens songs and Bonnie Vare songs when really right. he contributed a lot of a lot to the sounds that feature on those artists records yeah but even that's not really the core issue i think i have with them is while those are sounds that he could equally have been responsible for i don't see the point regurgitating them here they 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 feel like they come off almost like a resume you know these are these are my uh, references. Give them a call, uh, Bonnie Bear and Suf Jam, and they book yeah. out the album and they kind of make you listen to the album. But uh, I think, in terms of the overall quality of the album, that this this album would have been better if you cut both of them off. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, uh, if the if the point was to for these features to function as a hook, uh, it worked on us. So I mean, yes. it's work on everybody else too. Yeah, there's an argument to be made there. Um, he got what mar- he wanted it from it, right? Yeah, as a marketing scheme, it worked great, but as far as the music goes, it takes away from the rest of the album. It almost feels like they should be bonus tracks, or they should have st- both started the album, or they should have been more uh, features used a little more experimentally. 
you know, pull pull Bon Iver more into that electronic area and, you know, have him perform on something that fit the structure of your album more. Uh, mm-hmm. Same with Soof Jam. It, Soof Jam was a fine opener because, you know, this is where I came from, you know, and then, you know, your evolution of sound as you go through the album. I, w- I would have even, like, I didn't mind Soof Jam even starting the album out in that regards. Like, it kind of gives you kind of like a palette, like Soft Night. Those are like these kind of palette songs. Uh, I didn't find it as cheesy. Again, I didn't pay attention to lyrics all that much in those tra- tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I would have seen Bon Iver been a better start, maybe, if you just started with the Bon Iver, because the Bon Iver song is not bad. It's just redundant. And, like, just go listen to his, his self-title. Go listen to 4 Emma. Like, there's better songs on there that do the same thing, you know? It's like, I don't know what the point of the song was. It's just kind of to say, oh, I was on that album. I won a Grammy with Bon Iver. Uh, let's put another song together that sounds like what we did there. I was like, eh, you kind of ex- did this whole album where, like, you know, you're building up to Scarcely Out and you, you go through Invisible Walls and you do these creative ideas. And then to kind of go back and say, I like Bon Iver, let's do a track together that, you know, it doesn't really add to the album, in my opinion. It's just kind of like, almost like flaunting. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. When I when I listened to it, I thought, oh, sort of sense of balance, you know, by closing by return. But yeah, it, it, it bookends with very two very similar songs. Yeah, but at the same time, I can see what you mean. It may seem it may be disin, disingenuous to place it as a yeah. It's it feels easy in my opinion. I think he 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 didn't use uh, Bon Iver's uh, feature work on this album to the level I wish he had. Yeah, I mean, like, no offense about Bon Iver or anything, or to any Bon Iver fans, but... No, this uh, is a this is I a mean, fine track, Naked, you know? Inside the context of this album, it's a fine track. If you like Bon Iver, you'll like this song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's just, just like, same old, same old. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't fit the album, really. Like, mm-hmm. after... After we move on from the Sufjan Stevens song, like you said, there's an evolution of sound that takes place. And then he sort of, yeah, like bows back down to where it is he began and sort of like defeats the purpose a little bit, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think so. I think I think there's a, kind of a, a misfire on, on his usage of uh, uh, Justin Vernon. But yeah, like I don't, I don't know where else you'd put it on the album, honestly. If anything, you put it at the beginning, but honestly, I just wish he had uh, re- redone this song, it made it a little more interesting, a little more experimental, and uh, had it fit its uh, its ending status. Well, I think like if they if you took uh, Justin Vernon's vocals and then put incorporated into a song like Invisible Walls, really loud and uh, high decibels, uh, that could be interesting, especially yes. where he uses in the in the mid section of this song the production yeah creates this echo effect with justin vernon's voice that would play well into some of the more loud aggressive songs on the on the album you know maybe that was something they yeah like you said it's just a little bit easy um let's not call it toe-in songs this time let's say what are your recommendations what were your favorite songs on this album i mean it's the yeah the my favorite songs definitely after hours 
the run of songs from five to nine after hours invisible tap slant wise scarcely out this is the peak of the album it really hits its stride and it knows where it's going and what it wants to do and it sounds fresh it sounds new Mm -hmm. Um, and of those songs i would say if you want if you're going to listen to just one song check out after hours okay okay um i can agree with that i'd say uh Give Invisible Walls or Nowhere a try. Um, I, I I was a little more favorable to the beginning of the album than you were, uh, and not having really not really vibing with tap and slant wise. I had a kind of a mirror uh, vision on this album, but I'd say After Hours Invisible Walls great great tracks to go. Some of my favorite tracks were Scarcely Out, Invisible Walls, After Hours, Nowhere, uh, South Night. Those were kind of like the songs I enjoyed the most on the album. Um, mm-hmm. Who would you recommend this album to? Who do you think would get the most of this? I mean, if you're an electronic music fan, definitely check it out. Um, but I, yeah, definitely electronic music fans, definitely definitely check it out if you like electronic music. Mm, there's definitely another audience for this type of music, though, don't you think? Yeah, I think people are interested in like what I was interested in going into this about how he would incorporate. Uh, the features, how the how he would compose the songs, uh, and how he would uh, stamp his identity as a solo artist, I think are really compelling. Um, and with all his stamp approval, all these other songs, I think if you have heard him before and unknowingly, he's an interesting artist to listen to and give a little taste. Um, I think people who are familiar with Suf Jam and Bonnie Vare and uh, are fans of horns in general and like spacey music and atmospheric music and some uh, don't mind the electronic touch and flares. Uh, I think we'll find a lot in this album. It's hard to, it, you, you, there's a lot of instrumentals on this album too. If you're not really a instrumental listener and you're more of a vocal uh, yeah. heavy listener. You're probably not going to like this album all that much, but if you, if you enjoy your instrumentals, you enjoy following on composition and listening to the textures and the sounds it comes uh, through with. I think you'll find a lot of merit in this. Uh, I would suggest post rock fans check it out because even though post rock yeah has a lot more chords and stuff like that, they they'll probably like the horns, the analog sound of the horns, and uh, yeah, there's so much instrumental instrumentals on the track. I could see post rock fans sort of yeah warming up to it. Uh, so what uh, what would you rate this walking away from it? Before I give my rating, as a debut, mm-hmm. how do you consider the album? Was it a good debut, mediocre? As, as a debut, I think there are some ups and downs on this as, an, as a debut. I, mm-hmm. I would I understand we've talked about the inclusion of people like Bon Iver and Sufjan in terms of the marketing strategy. But in terms of like defining yourself as a player... Uh, a solo player and a solo composition. Um, I think there were some conceits made that, that damaged the overall quality of the album. Mm-hmm, yeah. So you think uh, on a sophomore release, he's still going to be in this process of discovering his own voice as a solo artist? I think this is going to be someone who uh, is going to shake, shake it off and come back with something really, really good. Uh, I'm excited to see where this goes. I think there's a little bit of um, needing to shake off a little bit of that uh, debut album kind of decision-makings and getting his name out there 
and and noticed that I think when he gets more into the realm where he can really let go and just ride on his own merits, I think he'll do a lot better. And that might be his uh, sophomore, and it might be his uh, third release, you know. But I, I, I feel a really good album coming out of this guy. I can tell he's really talented. Yeah, obviously yeah. he's talented. I just don't, I think he made some uh, mistakes in, in putting this album together. And, and I kind of walk away giving this a six. A six, yeah. Uh, it's hard to it's hard for me to give it a six because the songs that I did like I liked a lot and I mean I for lack of a better word I shit all over Song of Trouble and I stand by that I don't like it and I never will um, and Land is yeah mediocre but in between those two songs I think there's really something special here and it may take a little bit of time to get there but considering it's this guy's debut release, um, I think he really has the opportunity to be a unique voice in electronic music. And I, I'm not even sure if you if there's uh, not really a name for this uh, f- for the music that is on this record. Right. I think he has a he has this ability to to, to play in those two worlds and merge them together and create something really interesting. And there's times on this uh, this album where he does that and it makes me really excited uh it's just the inconsistencies i think uh, mm-hmm. some of the lulls uh you know i i only really like about half the album the other half is like good fine and there's a few tracks i'm not a fan of and so when i think of all that together you know uh, in terms of five being like an average kind of whatever release this is mm-hmm. a bit better than that, but I still think he has places to go, places to grow, and uh, good music to write yet. Yeah, and and I agree with everything that you said, but for me, the the unique quality to a sound, like I can't really find this type of music. You know, Mouse on Mars, a type of band like this, is maybe the closest I can get to a band who sort of feels like they're on the frontier, like they've got the one step into the future. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, I'm, I've, I've got to give the album a seven. It's sort of a cautionary seven because like I said there are some blunders, especially at the front and back of the record. And some tracks are, yeah, just uh, nothing extraordinary. But when the album really hits its stride, man, it, uh, it really grabs my attention. And there's tracks on here that I'm going to be returning to for quite a while. And uh, just to round out the sort of a response to what you were saying, in his future releases, I just hope that his contributions to the work of other artists don't result in him struggling to find his voice because he has, you know, these popular features on, on his records. And I'm certain that his next record will more than likely incorporate a number of features the way this one has. And so, yeah, I just, uh, I just hope that, yeah, he doesn't let the star power of other artists that he's worked for overshadow his own voice because his own voice for me is uh, very curious and I'm excited to see what he comes up with next. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with uh, another album. 
we haven't decided what it will be yet. Uh, I don't know if you've had anything in mind yet, but uh, I I'm, I'm excited. I, I really enjoyed listening to this album, uh, even though I did give it uh, a fairly low score. I think relative to some of my other scores, I, I did enjoy this and I see a lot of potential in it. Um, but I, I, I also think it's a little bit passable at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, I say give it a listen, give it a few, some of the core songs we mentioned here. Uh, listen, if anything, we talked about piqued your interest or, you know, our complaints don't seem to vibe with your, uh, your palette of, of music taste. Uh, give this a listen. Uh, and uh, you know, let us know how how you thought.